Welcome to Nuggets, Inc. I'm your host, Matt Schubert, joined again by our Nuggets beat writer, Mike Singer. Got a whole bunch of topics to dig into. Paul Millsap, what is the front office going to do about bringing him back? Free agency, what do the Nuggets have to do to keep up in the Western Conference arms race? NBA Summer League, Michael Porter Jr. about to make his debut. And of course, Bull Bull. Why did the Nuggets go after him? What do we think is going to happen with him? All those topics and much more coming up next. All right, we're back here again. Matt Schubert, our Nuggets beat writer, Mike Singer, going to talk about the Nuggets. Just got back in from Chicago. How are you liking this weather right now? It is boiling. This is uh, my first summer in Denver. Uh, listen, I can't complain about weather. I moved here to get out of Chicago winters. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah. nothing is worse than Chicago winters. I lived in Chicago. I know it quite Seven well. months. Seven months of the year. Yeah, the worst eight months of the year, in my it's, opinion. It's horrible. Yeah. So we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about the Nuggets. Uh, NBA free agency. We're two days away. We're recording this, and right now it is Friday at 1.30. So keep that in mind. If something crazy happens at Friday at 1.30, and we didn't see it. Apologies right now. Our alerts are on, just in case. But as it stands, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Max Capspace. The L.A. Clippers have cap space for two Max players, if I'm mm-hmm. not wrong. Yep, I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nuggets still haven't made a decision on Paul Millsap if they're going to exercise his $30 million option and obviously the inflection point for them. The Houston Rockets are trying to flex their muscle and force Philadelphia to sign and trade them Jimmy Butler. Long story short, the Western Conference is just crazy right now. Yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. I've described it as an arms race. uh, And I kind of want to start just with the Rockets. Uh, They got bounced in the second round this past postseason. And there's been all this, you know, supposed turmoil between them, uh, Mike D'Antoni, uh, James Harden, Chris Paul. Uh, Amazing how all these stories come out right at the end yeah, of the season. Yeah, <laughs> right, right ahead of when, uh, you know, teams can make some landscape altering trades and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but if I'm the Houston Rockets and I'm, you know, general manager Daryl Morey, I take a hard look at just running this back. I mean, we all saw what happened with Golden State. Uh, those two devastating injuries, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Um, if you're the Houston Rockets, you have been game planning for the past two to three years trying to get past the Warriors, and they are finally not the Warriors, the dynastic Warriors anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, hopefully I didn't you know, jump to conclusions. but I don't Well, <laughs> I'm curious because Kevin Durant can still sign there, and then this is like basically that two-year window where Michael Jordan retired in the 90s, sure. and they're back at it again in a year, two years. Sure. No, but again, if I'm the Rockets, there's no reason for me not to just take a deep breath, you know, hold hands, and uh, between if I'm James Harden <laughs> and Chris Paul, uh, go out to several dinners and just hash it out. Shoot another State Farm commercial, maybe? Yeah, plenty of State Farm. Maybe maybe a new sponsorship. Maybe TSO would be interested. <laughs> but um, all I'm saying is they have the parts to run it back. Obviously, Clint Capella, um, P.J. Tucker, that is a dangerous team. And if you, you know, once all the dust settles, they are still going to be one of the most dangerous rosters. And that's, you know, pre-potentially getting Jimmy Butler. Um, I, I joked about this on Twitter. If Jimmy Butler does end up in Houston, I want HBO to do a hard knocks oh, with the Rockets. Well, the thing the thing about getting Jimmy Butler that I'm just, I shake my head out a little bit is we really want to have three iso ball players playing together on the same team. I, they Every one of them is ball dominant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Jimmy Butler. Uh, I, I covered him in Chicago. I saw him uh, before he really blew up to prima donna status, and uh, he has, uh, I don't know, is scorched earth fair to, to say that with two franchises in yes. terms of the Bulls, Timberwolves, and then there were rumblings that it wasn't working well with the 76ers. Uh, so I know, per, I know, you know, I can say confidently the Nuggets have no interest in Jimmy Butler. And nor should they. Nor should they. But uh, it would be fascinating if the Rockets did go out and get him in terms of the talent acquisition uh, and obviously the talent improvement. But, uh, I mean, I would be a little bit suspect 
you know, for chemistry reasons. But that's just one team. You got the Rockets. You have, you know, the Lakers. What are they going to do with their third spot? Are they going to be able to potentially entice Kawhi Leonard? What if uh, Kyrie Irving wants to go back? I mean, there are so many things that could sort of vault them ahead of the Nuggets in in the current Western Conference pecking order. Um, well, hold, hold on, let me okay. interrupt you right now. Go. Are they already ahead of them? They've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't think so. I really don't. I mean. Like, they have load management to deal with. They have 60% of their starters. I mean, I guess we know Kyle Kuzma is one of the starters. So 40% of the starters, we don't even know who they are. I mean, maybe they want to go get Lance Stevenson again, and (laughs) and we'll see, you know, how that experiment works. Um, You know, maybe Isaiah Thomas gets another run with the Lakers. Oh, my gosh. If if they do the whole, like, crazy head case club again, then – Fire Polinka I mean, right now. One would think that they wouldn't, but I would not peg the Lakers above the Nuggets just yet. I think that it is a fair debate. I think there is probably going to be, a, you know, it's a it's a fair argument right now. But I, I feel like we're just building towards a Lakers Nuggets postseason series in the next, you know, year or two. That fun. is just going to be. I mean, that's just like lick your chops good. I the, the thing if if I'm the Lakers, if I'm Rob Polinka right now, yeah. I am not thinking about bringing in Kawhi Leonard. I'm not thinking about bringing in Kyrie. I'm looking at who are the sort of second tier or top level role players that I can bring in that I can surround LeBron James and Anthony Davis with because I can probably get three or four of those guys. Yeah. And if I have three or four of those guys, all of a sudden I have a deep team and I have these guys like LeBron and like Anthony Davis who might be a little creaky right now. Sure. And might benefit from not having to play a 35 to 38 minutes a game. You know, it would be pretty much a uh, a, a Lakers pipe dream, but uh, why not just run it back with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle? <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's conceivable too. So don't, don't you need shooting though? Don't don't you need? Of like- course, you need shooting, and that was the problem with the Lakers going into last year, and why everyone was suspect. I mean, Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo, those guys are not three-point shooters. They no. don't stretch the floor well with LeBron. No. Kyle Kuzma was the only one who was somewhat good at that, and Brandon Ingram couldn't stretch the floor in the least. No, and, and then they make a desperate trade for a guy like Mike Muscala to try and bring in shooting. And that's what you put. That's a position you put yourself into when you don't get enough shooters on your roster. And I feel like that's the position they could put themselves into if they go star chasing. I, I just love that D'Angelo Russell could wind up back on the Lakers and, you know, we're all supposed to just forget about that whole incident with Nick Young and how that blew up their roster. So we've hit the Rockets. We've hit uh, the Lakers. uh, Who knows what to make of the Warriors? I mean, I I think they will, uh, in all likelihood, be a playoff team next year. I think that would be stupid to count them out, obviously, with Steph Curry. Draymond Green still there. Still uh, feels like a gap year, though. doesn't Yeah, it? it feels like a gap year. You can't if you're the if you're the Warriors, you can't go into next season feeling confident. Um, and then you know we saw with the Jazz, they just made a huge trade for Mike Conley. Uh, they are seemingly going for it right now. I love the combination of Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Uh, I think that's a very strong trio, and I think they can can talk themselves into making a finals run next year. I really do. Um, and then you have the Portland Trailblazers and Yusef Nurkic when he gets healthy. So, Well, also, you could say Portland Trailblazers are sort of lurking as a possible destination for some players. Not free agent-wise, but making some moves with trades. They still have some assets that are, I would say, interesting. Right. Um, the forward, I forget his name right Myers now. Leonard. Uh, Myers Leonard, Zach Collins. Yeah, those two, right, both right. of them, I feel like are movable and people would be scratched their chin just enough to think maybe... Yeah, so the, the point is, what, I, what I'm ultimately getting at is that although the Nuggets had a fantastic year last year, they were the number two seed, they had 54 wins, uh, and, and all the rhetoric since the end of the season has been like that we are okay running it back. Uh, you know, I don't know that the Nuggets will be instantly slotted into the top two, top three seeds in the Western Conference next year. I think that might be an oversight. Well, Okay, here's, here was something I was kicking around in my brain and I was just thinking about uh, the other day is, are they even guaranteed a playoff berth? Because let me just list off the teams that we've got here. We've, yeah. we've talked about the Lakers. They're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I just am 100% certain that's going to happen. So somebody's gone. Okay. Uh, you've got the Houston Rockets. Right. You've got the Golden State Warriors. They're probably sticking around, yep. right? Yeah. You've got the Utah Jazz. Yeah. You've got the OKC Thunder. Maybe. I. 
They're a borderline team. Yeah, but but they're in the conversation for sure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Blazers. The Blazers. So we've got six right now. Uh, you've got who knows what Sacto is going to be. Sacramento could be something next year. The Spurs. The Spurs. Who, in their 21-year 20, run of postseasons. Yes. Uh, the Clippers. Yes, the Clippers. And who knows what the Clippers are going to do in free agency. And then... How about uh, the New Orleans Pelicans yeah, they, and Zion Williamson and, and their massive haul? So there's probably 10, 11 teams that are going to be entering. I feel like we've left one out, too. I, I don't know. I, maybe. Maybe we did. But 10 or 11 teams that can realistically talk themselves into a playoff berth. Um, so, I mean, are the Nuggets going to be the uh, prohibitive favorite to be the one or the two seed? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I would be hesitant to say that right now until we see how the dust settles in free agency. Uh, but I, at this point, I think that the Jazz have probably jumped them. I think that the or, Rock or at least are right there or, with them. Or, or on their level. I, and I, they gave them pro- problems last year as they were currently constituted. Right. And now they've only gotten better. Mike Conley is a hell of a pickup. Um so the Jazz, the Rockets, uh, the Lakers are arguably, you know, one or two. I don't know which one's better. And so then you're looking at the three or the four seed at that point. And that's before we've seen who else the Lakers add, what the Clippers can do, uh, and, you know, whether Portland adds someone like who you were talking about. Yeah. So And can Golden State pull a rabbit out of a hat? Sure. Because let, let's, say, let's say Golden State, they hang around until February. They get clay back. All of a sudden, you have Clay, Draymond, and and Steph, Steph Curry. Right. Um, that team could be a really tough four or five seed. That all of a sudden, let's say, the Nuggets got to play them in the first round. Oh man. Yeah, and we're and you know I already discounted OKC and Paul George and Russell Westbrook. So my point is that next year the Western Conference is going to be a bloodbath just because. The Denver Nuggets ascended all the way to the two seed and made all this progress and internal growth uh, does not guarantee that they are going to have home court advantage in the first round next year. I do think they're going to be a postseason team. I would be stunned if they regressed uh, to anywhere below the eight seed. I mean, so so who is who is falling out? You think of that? I think it's going to be the Spurs. I think the Spurs are going to fall out, even though and it's it's just impossible to peg this, even though they're adding Deontay Murray back who tore his ACL early last year. Um, and Lonnie Walker. And we all saw what Derek White could do this postseason. So, I mean, I guess right now I would say the Spurs, and I'm a little bit lukewarm on the Thunder, um, especially who knows what they're going to do with Steven Adams. There's, you know, there's talk that he's been involved in, in, in various transactions uh, to, you know, to re- give some salary cap relief. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean... The Nuggets are right. They will be in the thick of it. You know, I just don't know whether I'm ready to say just because they've ascended all the way to the two seed, they're going to be able to run it back and and pull off 54 wins again. Uh, And I think the Nuggets internally are very well aware of this, uh, how competitive the West is about to be. So you're Tim Connolly. You're you're looking at this situation. You're saying, oh, crap. Is that number two executive of the year, Tim Connolly? That would be the guy who finished second. Got it. Um, So you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, boy. I feel like we need to improve. Am I confident enough in the internal improvement, or do I have to get rid of Paul Millsap or try and figure out a deal with Paul Millsap to free up money and bring somebody else in to make my team a little bit better? How much pressure am I feeling on that end? Well, you're definitely feeling a lot of pressure given what's going on around you. Um, But there's a number of factors that, if I'm Tim, I'm considering. And first of all, uh, I think people understand this, but just because you can sign Millsap and bring him back at $30 million does not mean that you have $30 million to go and sign a max guy like Chris Middleton, like Tobias Harris, uh, or even Clay Thompson if he was healthy. It does not mean that because they will be above the salary cap. And uh, so essentially, if they decline that option, they will have about 18 or $19 million uh, to negotiate with. That's probably not going to be enough to get a quality starting caliber power forward that gives you all of the things that Paul Millsap gives you. I understand Paul Millsap will be Paul Millsap will be 35 next season and is not going to be putting up 20 and 12. It's just not going to happen. So the money probably will not be reflective of what he is producing. But in terms of the defense, in terms of the veteran presence, in terms of, I mean, he had a great series in the second round against the Blazers. Um, 
and in terms of keeping the seat warm for Michael Porter Jr., uh, all of those things are invaluable to the Nuggets, and so maybe the you know the numbers. If you boil it down, it's it's not a it's not commensurate with his value, and he's going to be a, an extremely highly paid thirty five year old. Uh, there is there there is a school of thought that makes sense to pick up this option, as we talked about before um, or off air. The idea that the thirty million dollars would then come off the books. Uh, next summer when you have to pay Jamal Murray, you have to pay Malik Beasley, you have to pay Wancho Hernan Gomez and their rookie extensions, and Torrey Craig, yeah. uh, I believe, will be a restricted free agent next summer as well. And really tough to hang on all all those guys. It's going to be really tough to it's, be. And it's going to be tough to hang on to them. It's also going to be expensive. And yeah. so there will be questions that uh, Josh Kroenke will have to answer in terms of how comfortable he is paying above the luxury tax. And, um, you know, then potentially the repeater tax as the Nuggets elevate and become more of a, a, a perennial contender. Um, so I just think there's a lot of different routes you can go with Millsap. The, the, other, the other factor that I think plays into this that, you know, no one else can really calculate uh, as, as best as the Nuggets can is how Michael Porter Jr. changes the trajectory of the team. Um, internally, they are very high on him. Uh, publicly, they are trying to quell expectations a little bit, but uh, I mean, from what I've heard, he has opened a ton of eyes. He some some of the things that he's doing in, in, in these open runs are um, basically sort of indicating to you that it is not a prudent decision to go out and sign a, a, a power forward or a stretch four for three or four years because you are then hindering his development. Uh, all of this should be you know taken with a significant grain of salt. Um, two back surgeries, um, and he hasn't played professional bat or competitive basketball since March of 2018. So they don't know whether this will all manifest on the court. But if it does, you can, you would be silly if I'm again Tim to not be calculating Michael Porter Jr. in, in into the future in, in terms of this season or next season and, and what they anticipate a role for him being. All right. So I've got this. Is that a tangent? I'm no, a solid no, no. I, I, I'm all for that. I've got a list of free agents I'm going to go with you. Before we do that, though, I want to have a quick break. Hey, listeners. Just want to remind you that the Denver Post offers two other sports podcasts you might be interested in. On the Rocks, featuring our Rockies beat writers, Patrick Saunders and Kyle Newman, offers plenty of insight, after-game interviews, pre-game interviews, and then there's the First and Orange podcast with beat writers Ryan O'Halloran and Kyle Fredrickson, where they talk about all things Broncos. Find those anywhere you get your podcasts. And make sure to rate us. Five stars, please. Now, back to the show. All right, so we're back. I've got this long list of free agents. There's a ton of guys right now that are out there and a ton of teams with cap room. So we don't know what's going to happen yet with Paul Millsap. That's really going to be the inflection point for what happens in free agency with the Nuggets. But I've got these names. Tell me, do they make sense? Could they help the Nuggets in different scenarios that happen vis-a-vis what happens with Paul Millsap? So, Hey, can we establish parameters first? Sure. Because I'm not sure everybody understands what uh, is available to the Nuggets. Well, okay, so... This it is should, important because yes. it, they're not going to go get Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, they're not well, going to yeah. go get Kevin Durant. It should be noted, I have none of the top-tier guys on this list. Okay. And, and the reason for that is there's almost no way that they can clear the cap space to offer them a contract unless they come up with some sort of sign-and-trade situation. That or the two contracts that uh, I think would be the most movable are uh, Mason Plumley, who's in an expiring. He's in the last year of his contract. And uh, Will Barton, who's making, I think, 12 or $13 million. So, you know, I, I don't know what the market for those guys would be, but you'd have to attach a pick to it. But conceivably, you know, in a, in a dream world, you could offload those if you had an inkling that Kawhi Leonard would sit down with Tim Connolly and company. But we're just going to throw that okay, out the window. let's throw it out there. We- and, and to establish the parameters— I, in my opinion, because Paul Millsap, I expect Paul Millsap to be back either on a new deal or because the Nuggets pick up his option, 
The, the mechanism that they can use is the mid-level exception, which is worth $9.2 million. So you are getting a quality player, not a top-tier free agent, probably not a, a second-tier free agent, but somebody who can fill a need and, and address spots where you were vulnerable vulnerable this year. So On a, the, maybe a one- or two-year deal, right? Like It some, can go up to four years. Do, do you think that they would do that? With I don't think level? that they would go up to four years, but again, parameters. Okay. We're just setting boundaries. All right. Okay. All right. So... First name on the list, Al Farouk Aminu. Pass? Pass. Pass. All right. We're, we're passing on Al Farouk. All right. The Morai. Marcus Morris, Markeith Morris. I think there could be interest in Marcus Morris. I, I sort of like what he uh, did last year for Boston. It feels like he's a younger, maybe B-level version of Paul Millsap. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some toughness there, There's uh, which the Nuggets did not have last year. Uh, there's some defense, the physicality. Um, I, you know, without uh, off the top of my head, I don't know what his offensive numbers were. I would imagine somewhere around ten and six, ten and five, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, I think he's a good insurance plan if everything with Millsap uh, falls through. Uh, I'm not hinging my hopes on Marcus Morris. Um, he can shoot the three. Okay. He you know, can create a little bit off the dribble for himself. Okay, but every everything needs to be viewed in the vein of how do you play with Nikola Jokic? Yes. And, you know, is he cutting? Is he how, how accurate is he from the three-point line? Is he stretching the floor? Is he is he a good enough defender where he can cover Nikola Jokic in the front court? You know, if if Jokic has a mismatch, can can Marcus Morris pull over and and sort of help off of his guy? So everything, that remains to be seen. Of course, <laughs> obviously hypotheticals, but everything needs to be seen in the viewed in the vein of how you pair with Nikola Jokic. So I would say, let, we need a scale. We need like a one to ten scale. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go six point three. Six point three. Potential interest. All right, I'm gonna start marking these okay, down. Mark them down. Six point right, three. Potential 3. interest in Marcus Morris. All right. Next name on the list: Thad Young. I think that there could be some interest there. Um, I think that the money would work. Uh, played at Indiana last year. He's, he's a good uh, sort of versatile four. Um, I, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to compare him to P.J. Tucker, but that's how that's the, the mold that I would look at Thad Young in. Um, Maybe not the same defensively as PJ. N- no, not the same defensively, but the versatility to be able to be able to guard on the wing, to be able to guard in the post. Uh, I, I like that flexibility um, from your four guy. And, and you know, theoretically, the Nuggets offense should be fine. It's you don't want the drop off on defense uh, from your four. And, right. and again, if you were to go out and get a Julius Randle, you would have a significant precipitous drop off on defense that huge i don't think the nuggets uh, and rebounding you so what, what, what needs to be factored in is what happens with paul Millsap is fine you don't you don't bring him back but what are you what is the aggregate does that mean you bring in one guy and then lose Millsap scoring and defense do you lose his veteran presence you need to calculate in totality what you know, the decision to not bring back Paul Millsap would mean. I get it. It's $30 million. It's expensive. But what does it mean in the aggregate for who you would plug in in, the, in that void? All right. Next name on the list. Oh, what are we giving? Oh, what's, what's the number? Thad Young. I, I'm saying a 7.2 interest. 7.2. All right. The, Thad, singer, Thad the singer sliding scale. <laughs> Thad Young in the lead right now. Okay. okay. Next up. I know you like this guy. Taj Gibson. I do. I love Taj. So Tough player. Tough player, doesn't old have the shooting player. stroke though. From doesn't three have the shooting land. stroke. Again, how much do you need him to have the shooting stroke? You need him to play defense, get rebounds, uh, and help Jokic on defense. Um, quick aside, I uh, I covered Taj Gibson when I was living in Chicago, and he is one of my favorite players in the NBA. Uh, I have a really good relationship with him, and so selfishly, I'm hoping he comes. A pro's pro. Pro's pro. I mean, this dude tells it like it is. He he stands up, answers all the difficult questions. He is usually the locker room pulse, uh, which is interesting because that's what Paul Millsap does right now for the Nuggets. So if they were to bring in a guy like Taj Gibson, I would be thrilled. You, you guys as listeners would have a ton more insight on what the Nuggets locker room is really like. Millsap does that to an extent, um, but... You know, the, Taj Gibson would be a huge pickup at, at a fraction of the price. 
Um, and not to mention, I think he would be very interested in this situation in, in terms of the, the, the winning situation uh, that the Nuggets would offer. He, he seems like a guy who would be fine coming off the bench. And even if they were to hold on to Millsap and being sort of a, a, a third or fourth guy for them. The, the only problem with that, I just think that Taj Gibson and Paul Millsap would overlap far too much in terms of their skill sets. And yeah. I think you would want to diversify what you have uh, in terms of your acquisitions this offseason. So on my singer sliding scale, we're going to give Taj a 6.9 6. in terms 9. of interest. 6.9. There we go. Well, 6.9. <laughs> so... Next one on the list. Another former bull here, Nikola Miritic. Three-point so, shooter, right. no defense, right. not zero. Right. So uh, theoretically, I like it, okay? I mean, I, I like what he does in terms of stretching the floor. He, he's a, he can be a dead-eye three-point shooter. Um Good offensive asset. Fell out of the rotation with the Bucks in the playoffs this year. Yes. Can't ignore that. Yes. Um I mean, he's had a difficult sort of start to his career with the Bulls and the Pelicans, then then the Bucks, and I mean, I just can't uh, like again. Theoretically, I like the fit, but I can't ever ignore the fact that Bobby Portis punched Nikola <laughs> Mirotic <laughs> in the face, yeah, broke his that. jaw, and the Chicago Bulls opted to part with Nikola Mirotic. <laughs> yeah. That is a tell. I mean, Nikola Mirotic was. I'm going to describe him as a little bit of a odd duck in, mm-hmm. in the Bulls locker room. Um, he, he sort of, I don't know how well he gelled with everybody. Uh, I think he's talented. He doesn't definitely doesn't bring the defense. So, again, that aggregate, you would lose a lot if you lost Millsap and then brought him in. So, theoretically, on the offensive end, I really like the fit. Defensively, I hate it. I'm going to say 4.8. 4.8. He's, 4.8. He's not looking too good right now. Okay. This one, I saw this name and I was like, eh, you know, maybe an off-the-bench guy. Maybe could play several positions for you. Rudy Gay. Yeah, you know, I like the idea. Um, that is definitely a, a, probably a plan B, plan C uh, if, if Millsap doesn't come back. I like his versatility. Uh, again, he's a bit older. And I don't know how much he certainly doesn't make you better on defense. No. And um, on offense, I guess he can create a little bit better and is a little bit more of a team-oriented offensive guy than he used to be. That's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, I'm a little lukewarm on him. Um, I, I, you know, I do think there's value there, and I, let's say he was willing to come for. I don't know what he made last year. Seven, right. eight million. Yeah. Some, somewhere in that ballpark. If he was willing to come at that. Mark, then I think there could be interest. Um, I I would say he is a a second or third tier guy. So what's your number on him? My number is uh, 4.6. 4.6. All right. Okay. This is a a guy you've already discussed with uh, with Kiz, Bojan Bogdanovic. He's going to be pricey. He is going to be pricey. And so... Again, the parameters, what are, we, what are we dealing with? The only way that they could realistically land Bogdanovich is if the Nuggets decline Paul Millsap's option, they don't rework a deal with him, they have the requisite cap space to negotiate, uh, and you could potentially land Bogdanovich for probably $17, 18000000 million a year. Yeah, I think he might get twenty. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are interested. He might, but does the fact that he's not, you know, a a renowned defender deter you? And and if I'm Tim, it should. Hold on one second. Okay. I remember him guarding LeBron James in a playoff series and almost holding his own. So not a defensive zero. There's like five guys in the NBA who could slow LeBron down in his prime. I'm going to rattle him off. Five. Okay. There was Kawhi Leonard could slow him down. Yes. Paul George could slow him down. Yes. Lance Stevenson could slow him down. I'm giving Lance Okay. Props. All right. Sure. Born ready. Why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Butler had a, had a bit of success against him in those Bulls-Cavs series. Uh, and Jay Crowder had a little bit of success. You're forgetting one. Andre Iguodala. Yes. Andre Iguodala, obviously what he did in the 2015 finals. Gets a lot of credit for that. Yeah, but but there's so you're not buying Bojan <laughs> as a LeBron stopper, no, and, and as a defensive plug, no. So I'm not going that route. But heck of a shooter, and showed that 
for t- parts of this season after they uh, after Indiana lost um, Oladipo, right? That he could be an offensive uh, go-to guy that he could create and do stuff for he himself. He can. I love. I mean, same same mold as Miritich in terms of hypothetical offensive fit. I love. Uh, and I think he, you know, he's a more fluid player. I, I, you know, seemingly he's a good teammate. Um, and I, I really like what he does on the on the offensive end. Uh, and he's intriguing just because of again the fit with Jokic. And I think he shot some. I want to say somewhere near four, around forty yes. percent for yes. three. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. I think he averaged uh, seventeen or eighteen a game this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like. You know, offensively, it's a good fit. The money is probably going to price him out of the Nuggets range. All right, give me a number. Um, I mean, again, this depends on what they do with Millsap. So that's why, you know, that's the inflection the, well, point. Well, this is the okay. The number, scale. the number, the number six point four. Six point four. I like, yeah. I like that. That's a yeah. solid number. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we, we're going over to the wing area. Although this guy, I think, in a pinch. Because of his length, might be able to play a four, although not a big dude. Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, I w- that would be a very small four. Lineup. Yes, I don't yes. think he would play the four. But so this gets to sort of what the Nuggets' needs are. Um, I'm not sure who their starting three is going into this year. It might be Torrey Craig. It might be Will Barton. Um, you give up something with each of those guys starting. Obviously, Craig, your offense is a little bit lacking, and with uh, Barton, your defense is a little bit lacking, and, and his offense doesn't really fit so well with the rest of the team uh, when he's playing isolation and puts his head down. Um, I think a guy like Jeremy Lamb could stretch the floor. He averaged 15 points a game this year for Charlotte. I think he made only $7 million. Uh, I distinctly remember being in Charlotte and – uh, Michael Malone raving about Jeremy Lamb. Um, just I, I don't even remember if it was prompted or not. Uh, you know, we always have to ask Malone something about the yeah. other guys. And <laughs> I guess he, he cited Lamb. Um, so Lamb's a guy who I think could be a, a, a nice addition. Um, he'd probably come off the bench at that point. Uh, either in that 2-3 spot. Again, how does that fit with Malik Beasley? How does that fit with Barton and Craig? Um, obviously important discussions to have, uh, but he's a value guy who, who can, can knock down from outside. And I think he's a decent defender as well. Yeah. So long, long guy, real long. Yes. So I feel like Jeremy Lamb is a potential fit. I'm going to say 7.48. Oh, wow. Breaking out a second decimal. All right. Well, I went there. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This one, I don't know. I, I just, I got just. A slight little bit of intrigue, Tabo Cephalosha. Pass. Pass. We're not even going to talk about Tabo. Interested. All right. Another one you might pass on, Trevor Ariza. No. There's a little bit of interest there? A little bit of interest. Uh, he's getting up there in age. Yeah, he's getting up there in age. With he was maybe. playing with Kobe. Yes, that's true. Uh, I'm saying there might be interest in terms of guys who would be interested in coming to a, a program that's on the ascent. And so if he's willing to take a little bit of a team-friendly deal, uh, maybe, you know, a 3 and D guy, um, I think there could be intrigue. I don't know. I'll say 5.6. I don't know if Damari Carroll is on your list. He is on my list. Is he? Okay. I'm lukewarm on him. I I don't think he does it. I think, you know, when he was with Brooklyn, when he was with Toronto, there was a little bit of intrigue uh, in terms of what he was able to do. But he, he... it always felt like injuries sort of undermined him and undercut yeah. his potential. Well, certainly it felt like he got paid off a of one Atlanta season yeah. where he was just yeah. fantastic, yeah. and he's not matched that since. And I just don't – I don't believe it. Like, honestly, I've written this. The Nuggets have tried to find a guy. They've canvassed the league. They're trying to find somebody who would put them over the top. And is Damari Carroll going to be your big haul? Like, that doesn't do it for me. No. I mean, you know, and I reported that they, they – Sniffed around on Anthony Davis. That is telling. That they are trying. They're not not trying. You know, the the hang up was Jamal Murray, and they did not want to throw Jamal Murray into a deal uh, without an assurance that Anthony Davis had any interest in being there at all. It was not going to be a one year thing. But the the two things you glean from that a the Nuggets are trying. They're trying to land superstars. They're doing what they can. They're, you know, doing making their du- the re- due diligence. Yes, right? the, due diligence, the due diligence and making the requisite calls. Um, but it also, maybe more importantly, tells you what they think about Jamal Murray. 
and they are extremely high on Jamal Murray. I know he has his defensive deficiencies, uh, but there are not very many 21-year-olds in the NBA who put up the kind of numbers that Jamal did, uh, especially in his postseason debut, averaged something like 25 Four and four. It's some big shots. Or 21, four and four. Some huge shots. Saved them in, I think it was game two of the first round mm-hmm. against the Spurs. So uh, I, I realized that was a quick aside. But anyway. No, that's fine. Everything needs to be viewed in the context of who they have. And uh, more so because all of these guys have not crystallized in terms of what they will be. So you are projecting what they will be uh, in a couple years for as long as the extent of a deal that you offer somebody is. How will that complement Murray? How will that complement Jokic, uh, Beasley, Gary Harris, all of those guys? You, I mean, you, you're not doing your job sufficiently if you're not taking mm-hmm. that into account. So I'm going to rattle off. These last few names. Oh, boy. Because I think some of them you might have a pass on. Some of them. All right. Let's go. All right. So, all right. Here we go. Just I'm going to list them all off. Rodney Hood. Vince Carter. Okay. Ed Davis. Okay. Wilson Chandler. Okay. (laughs) Pau Gasol. Okay. Noah Vonley. All right. The only one who is mildly interesting, in my opinion, is Rodney Hood. Um I'm sort of jaded by what I saw last year or two years ago when he was with the Cavs, and that just experiment completely bombed. I think that he is very much a confidence player. I mean, every NBA player is a confidence player uh, in terms of needing sort of that edge to, to feel like you can hold your own. And his his confidence seems to waver a little bit too much for me. I get it. Yes. He was a Nuggets killer. Uh, yeah, we saw what he know, could do against maybe the Maybe there's some hard feelings there. I don't know. He's the only one just in terms of the positional fit, the the swing guy, um, it, that 3-4 that position who, who can defend, who, who can get you baskets uh, in isolation. Um, it's a little bit intriguing. You know, I, I don't know what happened. What about uh, Terrence Ross? I was actually going to bring him up. He's going to be my last one. I want to throw him okay, out there. Well, right. Slam dunk champion. I know. All right. I got to give. Wait, wait. I got to give a number for Rodney. I'm going to okay. say. I'm going to say. Five point seven. Five point seven. Four. Five point seven. Okay, we're going two again. All right. Good. Good. Okay. So uh, Terrence Ross, high flyer. He can shoot it from the outside. Yes. Might have a little bit of tunnel vision. Yeah. He might, but um, I feel like we haven't seen the best version of Terrence Ross. I um, believe he got drafted by the Raptors. Yes, out of um, UW. Right. And actually covered a game of his in college. I, th- I believe it was the... It was at uh, it was at Madison Square Garden and oh yeah I remember and, and that they were there and for yeah Tony Roden reason, was on that team too yes uh, Lorenzo Romar I believe was the for, for whatever reason yep. I was covering that game uh, for CBS Sports <laughs> so anyways um, anyways I, I I do think that there's value uh, in Terrence Ross we haven't seen the best of him with the Raptors with the Magic uh, he's a guy that would probably be out of their price range. I imagine he's going to command somewhere from 12 to 13 million. Um, but again, a guy who shot, uh, I think close to, I think 38% from three and averaged 15 points a game, a guy who can stretch the floor. Uh, you saw it as the postseason uh, wore on that they were lacking a little bit in consistent three point shooting. Uh, and maybe Malik Beasley can become that guy. Um, but you know, you have the money to spend. You have. I'm not saying you're going to get a difference maker with your 9.2 million, but you can get an impact player. Um, so I think Terrence Ross is a, is a good fit, especially because um, he hasn't really experienced the kind of winning that uh, you know that the Nuggets could afford him. So I'll say I think that there should be a 7.7 interest scale but okay. again i don't think the money's gonna work all right so we're gonna review here okay just looking through the list 7.7 is the highest number there so, should be interest there I so guess is what Ter- I'm saying. terrence ross is right now the front runner in the mike singer levels of interest free agent sure. scale sure 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 all right um and second on that list thad young so right now we're talking about these sort of second-tier free agents. Those are the guys. I mean, I hope nobody had any, you know, misconceptions that they were going to go get Kawhi. <laughs> that, yeah. I, I hope. No, yeah. I, I think most people were on top of that, although I have seen 
uh, certain talk about uh, oh the fourth wheel in Philly. His name is escaping T- me right now. Tobias Harris, Jimmy. Yeah, Bolo. Tobias Harris. Yes, and I just don't think they're going to have the money for, for Tobias Harris. No, they're not going to have the money for Tobias Harris. And um, again, I was I forget in, in in the context, but we were talking about players that overlap uh, in terms of skill sets and. If Michael Porter Jr. gets to where he could potentially be, where the Nuggets think his ceiling is, uh, it would potentially hinder his development to bring in uh, Tobias Harris in a three- or four-year deal. I don't see that happening. I think Michael Porter Jr. has you know, the potential to be their third wheel, um, and I don't think it's going to happen this season, but if they practice patience like they have this year, like they have with some of their other injured guys, uh, I don't think you overpay for Tobias Harris. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, we can't finish this Uh-oh. without talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Bull Bull, okay. who right now is basically what Michael Porter Jr. was around this time last year. He could be anything. He could be a Hall of Famer. He could be a bust. He could be a five-time All-Star. Everybody seems excited about this. Fell into the Nuggets' lap. My my question, my first question is this: If Bobo's not there, do they make that trade to get that pick? No, no, that's, they don't. That that that, that was out there. The it's only a, time a guy, type of guy that they had gone after. That is the only guy they were they they wanted. They had like Tim Connolly said this. He said that uh, the deal was contingent on Bobo being there at forty four with the Miami Heat. So they don't make the deal if Bobo's not there. So they get him. Yes. Does he play at all this year? It's tough to say. I don't think he's going to play in summer league. I think that would be far-fetched. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty confident saying that he's not going to play. Um, I, I I don't think that we're going to see him, uh, or maybe we see him in a Jared Vanderbilt-type role where Vando plays in some mop-up minutes towards the end of the year. Uh, I don't think they're going to rely on him. I think this was strictly a value play. Um, sure, the Nuggets, you know, can fortify their front court with, with a talented guy who can stretch the floor. Uh, but it became a thing where the Nuggets had him so high on their list that it, that they were felt compelled to jump into the draft and, and snag him. I mean, they had him high. I mean, this is a borderline lottery talent uh, who dropped. And one thing that I heard Tim Connolly say that I thought was really interesting is that he thinks that around draft time, a lot of league executives fall into groupthink and they get spooked because of uh, one thing or another and it catches like wildfire. And one thing I think the Nuggets pride themselves on is uh, you know, thinking independently, evaluating prospects independently of what narratives are or what is uh, the chatter around the league. And listen, it's landed them Michael Porter Jr., it's landed them Vanderbilt, who had foot problems, and it's landed them Bull Bull. So whether those pan out or not, those are low-risk, high-reward guys who are projects who could potentially yield a ton. And again, that's putting trust in your developmental staff, in your doctors, in your training staff. Um, that's putting trust in sort of the culture that you have to not rush any guys uh, back further, you know, before that they're ready to. So I, I, I really feel like there's an organizational ethos to find talent, and if it develops, then you fit it in and make it work. Um, and, and I think that was the move with Bull Bull. I mean, they th- like you watch some highlights of him. He's impressive. Not any. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a seven foot two guy connect on as many threes efficiency efficiently as he did with his handle too. With his handle. So uh, I mean, he's just a really really unique prospect. I can't even imagine what the Nuggets' offense would look like if they had two towering centers playing together who could stretch the floor from three. I mean. That would be nearly impossible to defend. Can you imagine the driving lanes that that opens up for 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 the rest of the team? Can well, you? And and on top of that, the offensive part. Bull Bull, incredible shot blocker. So then all of a sudden you have a guy behind Jokic right. who can protect the rim as good as probably anybody else in the league. Yeah, I think four point five blocks or something like that a game. And I think his, I think that might have been his block rate. Okay, whatever it was, he 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 was a prolific blocker, not unlike his dad, uh, Manute Bull. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, 
there were questions. You know, you, I, I asked Tim Connolly the night of the draft, why do you think he fell? And he goes, frankly, we're not really concerned why he fell. Um, you know, obviously he had a stress fracture. That sort of made him – that was one school of thought. There were uh, lingering questions about his work ethic and his desire uh, about basketball. And I talked to um, Oregon assistant coach Tony Stubblefield – and he said, and he is the guy who recruited Bull out of high school, I believe in California. And he said there was no concerns whatsoever um, in terms of work ethic, in terms of how many times he was in the gym, in terms of him being around the team after he had this stress fracture. So, I mean, I'm not really sure where it came from. You know, and again, I don't pay attention as much as to the college game, but like, you know, the Nuggets did their due diligence again on this and, and felt it was a high value play, and that's why they jumped. Well, if you're concerned about a guy's work ethic, uh, one way to boost that is have that kid slide in the draft and go through a night like he went through, where all of a sudden he's got a whole bunch of people he wants to prove wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we got on a conference call with Bull Bull, and I asked him, I said. Bull, how do you view this night? How, how would you describe this night? And he goes, uh, I was there a lot longer than I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be middle of the first round, end of the first round. Uh, and he goes, honestly, I don't know what my takeaway is. He, he felt a little bit, it sounded like he felt a little bit um, awestruck and, and a little bit dumbfounded that he fell so far. Um, so again, if that doesn't motivate you, um, you know that'll be a, a pretty strong tell. Uh but similar to Michael Porter Jr., I think they are going to, uh, you know, develop him slowly and, and see what they have in him. And if it turns out that they have another really talented big guy, then that's one of those so-called good problems that just keep finding their way, uh, you know, on Tim Connolly's desk. And maybe even a trade trip later on. Who knows? Potentially. So before we wrap up, NBA award show was this week. I watched very little of it. I, okay. I'm just, to me, I think it's dumb. Just do what they used to do. Hand out. It's a regular season award, and by the time you get to it, it's lost all momentum. Yeah, it's it just feels totally meaningless. The the NBA finals have happened, and we all know now. Kawhi Leonard, holy cow! Right. So, um, with that said, uh, anything surprise you about the results? Uh, and how did they cor- How did they match up with how you voted? Um, nothing really surprised me. It's funny. There's someone on Reddit. I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted this out yesterday. Someone on Reddit did an analysis of the 100 voters, and they found which voters deviated the furthest from the consensus vote. And then they basically averaged out who was the most controversial voter and who was sort of the status quo voter. Mm -hmm. And... Out of 100 voters, I think I was the 76th or 77th least controversial uh, voter right next to Jackie McMullen. And I'm good with being next to Jackie <laughs> Mack in, in any capacity. So I sort of felt like, I, I, you know, when I was doing my research for it, I didn't think that there were any crazy outliers that, you know, I thought Pascal Siakam was the clear um most improved player. Yeah. I thought that, uh, you know, I haven't actually caught in a ton of flack for uh, the coach of the year vote. I had Michael Malone at number two. Mm-hmm. He came in three. Uh, I had Mike Budenholzer as number one. Uh, I just thought it was a, a sort of you take a team um, that you haven't unleashed an MVP yet. And Mike Budenholzer comes in. He, he unleashes an MVP in Giannis. He gets the number one seed. He gets the team to 60 wins. I just thought he was a, an even bigger difference maker than Malone was this year. But, again, as I've said on plenty of radio shows, this is not to diminish what Malone uh, did this year in, in terms of navigating the Isaiah Thomas situation, the Will Barton benching in the postseason, how he sort of groomed and developed uh, what was a really young team and, and led them to the number two seed and, and from one game away from the Western Conference Finals. So I think Malone did a hell of a job. Um, and I even, I think I tweeted this, but selfishly, he was great to me, you know, and it was never a boring interview. So I, I you know, I have a hard time seeing how he's not a candidate next year as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to say executive of the year, Conley, we already brought this up. Yeah. Number two to Milwaukee's right. uh, executive. Uh, his name is Horst, I believe. Yeah, John Horst. Um, there was six man of the year. I mean, is there any 
easier vote for sixth man of the year than Lou Williams. Right. I, I can't think of another guy that would have you really know, even competed with him. The other thing is that, you know, the Nuggets showed out really well. They, they, they performed, and as much as you can perform well in, a, in an award show, they were relevant. Jokic um, four in MVP. Jokic four in MVP. Malone, Malone third in coach of the year. Connolly second in executive of the year. Um, Monte Morris, I think, garnered some votes for sixth man of the year. And uh, Malik Beasley garnered some votes for uh, most improved. So, I mean, that is top to bottom. Your roster is littered with talent. And, you know, there's, there's talk of is Michael Porter Jr. going to be the rookie of the year? Um, He's Zion's already got a lead just from being Zion. The, he does, but the only reason, and and I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is going to win Rookie of the Year. Let mm-hmm. me just handicap it. I don't yeah. think so, and the reason I don't think so is because I don't think he's going to get the playing time to win that award. Yeah. I think that the Nuggets are not going to play him more than twenty minutes a game. Um, it's probably going to grow hard if he starts averaging, you know. 15 points a game, 15 points a night. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that they want him to develop slowly, uh, be good in his role, maybe average 10 points, six rebounds a game, um, and sort of just grow with the team, grow within the role, prove that you can stay healthy. That, in my opinion, it, it is sort of the expectation for uh, Michael Porter Jr. Um, so I don't think he's going to win Rookie of the Year because of that, but he, from what I've heard, he's a hell of a talent. And, you know, in the glimpses that Nuggets fans are going to get to see him in Summer League um, in just about a week or so, um, they're going to see what, you know, has been behind closed doors uh, and has some people inside the Nuggets sort of raving about, you know, the talent and potential he has. You know, here it is, <clears throat> end of June, and the NBA feels like it's still going at full force right now. Yeah. You have free agency about to start. You have Summer League, which has turned into a thing I don't think anybody could have seen 15 years ago. Um, there's a lot to pay attention to over the next month. Uh, August is like the one dead period, it seems like, now right. for the so NBA the season. The entire, all the NBA writers go on vacation. Yes. <laughs> August, that one month, maybe part of September. Right. Uh, so, so much is going to happen. Who knows? Maybe everything we just talked about with free agency will be reported and done with by, by Sunday. It's it, it's pretty incredible. Probably not. 7.7 Terrence Ross. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Mike Singer, thanks for joining me today. Uh, hopefully we can powwow again uh, after we see what happens with Michael Porter Jr. and obviously with Paul Millsap. Uh, really excited to see what happens here in the next few weeks. Absolutely, and I will uh, be in Vegas for Michael Porter Jr.'s debut. Um, going to see him. I, I believe Jonte, his brother, is going to be out there. I believe his dad, Michael Porter Sr., is going to be out there as well. Um, it's, uh, you know... Zion up close, too. Zion, not, I'm not the only one who's excited. I think... The rest of the league has sort of, sort of, Michael Porter Jr. has been on the back burner uh, throughout the entire year, and I think he's eager to prove that he's just as talented as some of the guys uh, that were drafted ahead of him last year. Yeah. All right. Well, again, we'll be back here again sometime soon. Until then, good talking to you, Mike. Good deal. Thanks a lot.